Good morning, everyone. If you would turn to um, Zechariah chapter 14, we'll read there in just a few minutes. Just to give you an overview of the series, we are looking at the Millennial Kingdom, an invitation to the best 1,000 years of your life on earth. You that, uh, that know the Lord, you have a lot of years left ahead of you on this earth. It won't be exactly like we experience it now, but we're going to look at this Millennial Kingdom, this thousand-year reign of the glorified and returning Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. In week one today, we're looking at the worship of the kingdom, and we're going to get very detailed in probably some parts of the Bible you haven't looked at in some time, Ezekiel and Zechariah and some other places. And then we're next week going to look at the work of the kingdom, and work is not a dirty word. It's just uh, a more difficult uh, experience as a result of the curse of sin and the judgment of God back in Eden. But we will look at some exciting things about what we'll be doing in the Millennial Kingdom. And then the third week we'll be looking a little bit at the rapture of the church and especially the need for readiness, for the sense of preparedness that we should be exerting and involving ourselves in, the sense of stewardship and responsibility that we have during this life because it will very much affect some of the things that we will end up doing during this thousand-year reign of Christ. Turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah was a prophet that went back after the exile and was in Israel when they, they built a temple, not like the temple we'll look at today. Uh, it was one that was, uh, it was a get-by temple, let's say, and there was some young men and women before the exile, the 70 years captivity might have been very young people, maybe adolescents, and they survived the 70 years, and they went back as pioneers again to rebuild the land. And when the temple was completed, it said that the old men wept because its glory was not like the glory of Solomon's temple. The temple that we have in, described here, we'll look at in Ezekiel chapters 43 and, and following, is a unique temple. It's not even like the temple that was during Jesus' day. That was Herod's temple. Of course, as we talked about in Daniel, it will not be like the temple of the Antichrist. It will be a brand new space for the worship of Jesus. And uh, in Zechariah, we'll read chapter 14 a bit, and then we'll pray and begin. I just want to give us some highlights or some some framework to look at the millennium because right before the millennium it will be the end of the tribulation there will be terrible things going on it says behold a day is coming for the lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you for i will gather all the nations against jerusalem to battle and the city will be captured houses plundered women ravished and half the city exiled but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half the mount will be moved forward toward the north and the other half toward the south. And you will flee away by the valley of my mountains. And for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azeel, Yes, you will flee just as you fled at the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my host will come and all the holy ones with him. And it will come about in that day that there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. And it will be a unique day 
which is known to the Lord, neither day nor light, but it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And it will come about in that day that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea, the other half toward the western sea. And it will be summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And in that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name, the only one. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimnon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Haniel to the king's wine presses. And the people will live in it. And there will be no more curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. Now this will be the plague which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets, their tongue will rot in their mouth. And it will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall upon them. And they will seize one another's hand, and the hand of the one will be lifted against the hand of the other. And Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered, gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also, like this plague, will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it will be that whichever the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then there will be no rainfall on them. It will be the plague which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the feast of the earth. Notice in verse 20, In that day there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. And every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. And all who sacrifice will come and take of them and boil them. And there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts in that day. An amazing time is yet to come. We're going to look at that some more. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so grateful that we have the opportunity to bow before you in our hearts in our minds to acknowledge you as who you are who you are yet to become in this world to give allegiance to you to offer our life up to you as living a living sacrifice to worship you in spirit and in truth and to long and look forward to the day when you will be worshiped throughout this earth by all humanity as you justly deserve, and as you have planned in, the, in your purposes, these things will come to be. They are yet in the future, but we believe them to be true. We pray this morning you would, by your Spirit, open our minds and hearts to see these things, to understand them, to be thrilled by them. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The dash between two dates, that finite space of time, I don't know if anybody knows uh, Mr. Herschel's actual birth date. There's no obituary out yet. Dave told me it was in February sometimes. Anybody know his actual birth date? No? Well, I, I'm sure we'll find that out. But it was some time in February uh, of 1929, apparently. He already had his birthday earlier this year. 
And you see, on 6-2 of 2022, he went to be into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 93 years, that's more than most people will live. Uh, just visited my parents last weekend, one's 86, one's 87, and it's apparent that um, their days are winding down as well. And we think of that as a long time to live, and it is. I mean, Mr. Herschel, that's almost a century. My, my great-grandfather lived to be over 100. But it's just a small dash in time compared to the thousand years that are yet ahead of us. Those that know Christ who will be in his presence, we will return with him as he once again comes to this earth, as Zachariah said, and he puts his foot upon the Mount of Olives and cleans it in two. What would you do if you knew you had another thousand years to live? What would you do? Do you have a plan? Do you have any exciting things in mind? Do you have an imagination that stirred about what the next thousand years of life on earth is going to be like for us? I hope so. I hope as we go through this message, it will become clear. In this, in this message this morning, we're going to look at the worship of the kingdom, and we'll start with the welcomed ones. Who, who is actually going to be in this kingdom? I mean, we've talked about it as, in a presumptive way, but let's talk about who's actually going to be there, because it's not just us. First of all, obviously, Jesus is going to be there. What's a kingdom without a king? We looked at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, and it says, The Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one. And his name, the only one. Only one world ruler. There's lots of despots. There's lots of people throughout history who thought that they were that guy. Nobody's ever come close to the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. We will be there. We're the bride. All church-age saints will be glorified. We'll be in bodies like unto his. First John chapter 2 says that when we see him, we'll be like him we'll see him just as he is there will be this experience of glorification where as first corinthians 15 says the corruptible will put on incorruption and we will have amazing bodies and abilities we're not going to go into this a bit but just to give you an idea there's going to be a lot of earth dwellers eventually on the earth that won't be our habitation the new jerusalem that described in revelation is a city, streets of gold and all that stuff, 1,500 miles square, 1,500 miles high. If you can imagine 12 stories at over 1,000 miles apiece, I, don't, I can't wrap my mind around that. One of my professors in Bible college had a, a great childlike imagination. He thought of it as this city that would just kind of hover in the atmosphere over the actual terra firma of the earth. And that we would teleport daily to go about our business. Fascinating, right? But that's implied in the scripture that we will have a city unto ourselves, the bride, the church. It will be our dwelling uniquely. And Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare that place. He's in the, bin, in the middle of doing that for the last 2,000 years. Amazing. Well, there'll be some other folks there. They'll be the, re the resurrected Friends of the bride, that's are the saints of Israel. Those folks you find in Ezekiel, the vision of the dry bones. You also have this idea in Daniel chapter 12. Uh, Dave was just there, and it talks about the angel that spoke to Daniel said, 
go your way, you're going to go to your rest, and you're going to rise again to your allotted portion. Daniel chapter 12, verse 13. It's going to be amazing. Daniel's going to be there. King David, Moses, maybe some other people that we've thought about be interested to make acquaintance with. Revelation chapter 20 says that there will also be the resurrected tribulation saints. That these people that during the tribulation pledge loyalty to Jesus with great adversity, with basically that being a death sentence upon their head, and they courageously would not recant their loyalty to Jesus. And so they're beheaded. They'll be resurrected, and Revelation says that they will rule and reign along with us, aside to us during that thousand-year reign. There will also be the saved survivors of the tribulation. That is the remnant. There will be Jews and Gentiles that, that believe on the preaching, and we're not going into the tribulation and all that this morning, but there will be 144,000 witnesses that are sealed, and they go out th- throughout the earth, and they share the gospel. And there are people that God in his mercy will open their eyes to believe, both Jew and Gentile. And some of them who are not martyred will somehow survive that terrible judgment of those bold judgments. God will hide away and secure some. Others, I don't know how they'll survive, but they will enter into this millennial kingdom in their earthly bodies, and they will be participants in that kingdom. This is important to understand because otherwise the kingdom doesn't really make a lot of sense when we get into the details of it. For instance, these people are very similar to our nature right now. They, were spirit- they will be spiritually righteous believers in Jesus, but they will still be living in fleshly bodies that have the capacity to sin. That's a, little, that's a little startling, probably. I would think that they will sin less because of the experience of what will be going on in that kingdom, but the capacity will be there. And you say, well, Brian, how do you know that? Because Revelation chapter 20 says that at the end of that thousand years, Satan is going to be loosed, and he's going to be able to create a rebellion of people that have the capacity to reject God. How does that happen unless they have a sin nature? And that's also important to understand that these people do go in to this kingdom in fleshly bodies because they have the ability to procreate. They have the ability to have children, and they will. And it says the earth will be filled with the glory of God, and that's going to happen because he's filling it with people. And by the way, if you go back to Genesis, you can see that people could live a long time and have a pretty big family. So these next group of people will be the children, the generations of that remnant. There will be people that will be born into the millennial kingdom that that will be all they knew. They will know of a king in Jerusalem. They will know of a perfect government. We'll talk more about this next week. They will have every perfect opportunity to do the right thing, but still they will have to make a personal decision to pledge loyalty to Jesus Christ. The sin nature will be passed on, and they will have a need for personal salvation. They will have to pledge loyalty to Jesus, not in the way that we do through faith because we don't see him, but in the way that the people in the first century did, that, that they were able to acknowledge Jesus, my Lord and my God. 
They believed not, not only by faith, but by sight. They actually saw Jesus perform miracles. They believed that he truly was the one that was prophesied. And then, this is interesting maybe, I think another participant in the millennial kingdom will be the angelic realm. Hebrews, should say Hebrews 1.14, it says, the angels are sent forth to be ministering spirits for those who are inheriting salvation. Salvation isn't just redemption. Salvation is the deliverance of our glorified experience. And very possibly in the midst of ruling and reigning, we will have angelic aids at our disposal. We'll talk more about that next week. Who won't be there? Well, the beast and the false prophet, Revelation 19 says, they won't be there. They will be physically, summarily cast to the lake of fire when Jesus comes. Satan will be bound for a thousand years in the abyss. And all God-rejectors presently existing at that time and all previous ages will not be there. They'll be confined awaiting judgment at the great white throne. So that's the players. That's all, all the pieces, the participants. We'll talk more next week about what we'll be doing, but that gives you an idea who will be a part of that kingdom. There will be this experience of wonder. Experience of wonder. I mean, I, I, I hope you know, you would ask God if some of these things seem fantastical that I'm talking to you about. You know what? We get awed by what we see on a movie screen that Hollywood can produce in terms of fantastical things, right? Powerful things, magical things. I mean, you think about the Lord of the Rings trilogy and all that kind of stuff. That's just a glimpse. That's just the beginnings of what should stir our imagination to what will be. It's going to be a fantastical place that Ephesians says our, our imagination hasn't begun to unwrap and expand enough to experience what we'll experience in that glorified state. This is going to be Eden experienced to the fullness. If you look back, this is really, this is the, the, the last age of God's creational plan for mankind on earth. It started in Genesis. It started with, with God creating this amazing creation in all its perfection, and God would say, this is good, this is good, this is good. And he creates man, and he says he's very good. And he gives him rulership over all that he created. And that was in a garden. God's going to expand that boundary throughout the earth. It's going to be Eden everywhere. You know, I remember when that, that show, Extreme Home Makeover, first came out. I remember it used to be on ABC on Sunday night. And being a guy that's involved in building and things like that, I was always taken by the fact, and i got to tell you, I shed a few tears, that you, you come alongside somebody who's really in a rough place. You know, they don't have room. They, they've had financial hardships. And then people come in there, in the space of a week, two weeks, whatever it was, they take these people away, and when they come back to this house, they can't even recognize it. It overwhelms them. They're broken in tears to see the renovation that's taken place. That's now the place they get to live. And you see it all the time on these HDTV shows. What will that be like for, for the people entering that millennial kingdom? It'll be amazing. I'm sure it'll bring about some tears. Also in that day, Isaiah 65, if you want to turn there, please. 
Verse 17, Isaiah 65. And behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 shall be thought accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build another inhabit, which happened over and over again for Israel, of course. They shall not plant another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. My chosen ones shall wear out the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. And it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And the dust shall be the serpent's food. And they shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Creation will be at peace. Another place it says that, that for sport, children will pick up snakes to play with them because they'll be tamed. No harm will come to them. There is an amazing thing that all of us have this sense about at some point or other, there'll be peace among humanity. People that actually get along, care about each other, support one another, encourage one another. All the one another's of the New Testament get to be lived out in this kingdom. What an amazing thing. Letter D, the curses will be lifted. We saw that in Zechariah. The curses are lifted. The curse for pain and travail and childbirth. Ladies, if you didn't have to go through that, probably a lot of you have more kids, right? <laughs> I mean, think about that. There, there will be some, something that changes back to the way it was meant to be. So the childbirth is this an amazing experience without travail. And what will it be like to work and not sweat by your brow to be productive and to see the work of your hands last and not decay? Technology and discovery will be multiplied. Technology and discovery be multiplied. I mean, I know we think we're pretty smart, but if you read the book of Genesis, there was a whole lot of things that happened back in the early parts of humanity, technologically, that we probably haven't touched yet. Even go back to the pyramids. We build big skyscrapers, but you know what? They're pretty vulnerable, as we saw in 9-11. Nobody's moved the pyramids of Giza. Not, not an inch. <laughs> and we don't really know how we could build such a thing again. What will it be like? This is my quote. It, it is said that we only use 10 to 15% of our brain's capacity. What if that expanded to 50% or more? What if we have 500 to 1,000 years to stack learning experience one on the other and continue to expand our ability to learn what if the shared knowledge of millions of believers was shared without jealousy and selfish ambition getting in our way what will the world be able to build all to the glory of god that's the other thing work that's not for us not for our ambitions but 
as an offering, as we are challenged to do, to let our work be as unto the Lord and not to men. We get that opportunity right now, of course. But it will truly be that in the millennial kingdom. And finally, the creational command will be fully obeyed. Be fruitful and multiply. God's never rescinded the command, but there will be no limitations on that command in the millennial kingdom. Fill the earth and subdue it and rule over all of creation. Now, there will be worship proper. That is, there will be very specific things about how King Jesus wants to be worshipped. And we find that in the book of Ezekiel and some other places as well, but Ezekiel is very expansive on these things, like several chapters, basically from chapter 40 to the end of the book, chapter 48. This vision is given to the prophet Ezekiel, and what is laid out there is fantastical. I challenge you to read it, like in one setting sometimes. Um, if, you, if you arrived here beforehand, um, as we said, there's going to be a new temple that's going to be built in that day. And it looks nothing like any temple that's ever been built. If you came early, you probably saw it. It was, it was up on the, on the screen. And this is uh, a theologian that also worked with somebody to build an architectural design in 3D. And uh, that's, that's there for you. Of course, the object of worship will be Jesus, the earth's ruler, Israel's Messiah, and the church's bridegroom. He'll be all those things in the same person. You understand how that is. I mean, when we have relationships, we have different roles and connection. It's the same person, but there's different groups of people that relate to him differently. And we will have a great amount of of privilege and blessing, even as you'll see, over others that might be there. I mean, for one, we have our own dwelling place. For another, uh, we are part of those that when he returns, it's said that we will rule and reign with him. But in the organization of worship, there's some things to like boil down here. First of all, Israel will be in the land. You remember we talked about the covenants. We talked about the Palestinian covenant that was given to Israel and defined in Deuteronomy. And that Israel's never really possessed everything that God gave to them. Well, you see in Ezekiel chapter 47, 13 to 48, verse 35, and we don't have time to go there, but it actually lays out the whole order from north to south of every tribe. And then it even gets even more specific, and it says, and then outside Jerusalem, here's where the Levites live. <laughs> you know, the, the ones that, that, that basically the Lord was their portion. They didn't have their own territory, but they will have this small, smaller area where they will reside and live and build. The temple will be in Jerusalem. That is the temple of Ezekiel we're talking about, chapters 40 to 48. And with great specificity, this is measured out in this prophecy. Down to like, hey, the walls are going to be six cubits wide, and they're going to be six cubits. They're going to be nine feet wide. They're going to be nine feet tall. And then this is, this is where the gates are, and this is how tall the gates are. And on and on and on it goes with great detail. And you can see that on, under that website, sonstoglory.com. The gentleman's put together an amazing detailed description in written form and, and the, the whole temple worship that will take place in there. The king will be on the throne in the temple. You remember in the old, 
the old temple, Solomon's temple, the glory of God came into the Holy of Holies and, and dwelt there. Then the glory left because the people had not been faithful to guard and protect and obey all the statutes and requirements of the covenant. One day God is going to enter in his glory and instead of there being an Ark of the Covenant, there's going to be a throne. And that's where he's going to preside over this kingdom that stretches throughout the earth. And then there will be a kingdom of priests and priestesses that extend his rule throughout the earth. In other words, if the command to multiply and fill the earth is obeyed, then we assume, and we've already looked at in Zechariah, that there's going to be nations. There's going to be other geographical places outside of Jerusalem where other people live. I think there's something about how God, even after Noah's flood, moved his sons into different areas, and, and they spread out into those areas over their generations. And we all kind of have a sense of what home is to us. Honestly, I, I, I haven't yet visited Jerusalem. I would love to do that. I don't have an aching desire to want to live there, but I know Jewish person after Jewish person after Jewish person that, that that's a big, big deal to them. And I think God moves people out so that they settle areas and they rule over and subdue other places, and that's home to them. That's their place as they put their efforts into building it and ruling in that area. Well, we'll get to this last thing, which I think might be startling to some of you, and that is there are going to be regular gatherings and rituals of worship. And again, Ezekiel 45, 18 to 46, 16, there is this very detailed description, and it starts with killing a bull and taking blood and painting it on the doorpost, on the altar, that there will be grain offerings, and there will be drink offerings, and, and, and on and on it goes and explains in detail that these will be put into place. And I hope you're like me, you're saying, well, why? I mean, I thought Hebrew says that there's one sacrifice for all time. Why are we having sacrifice again? It's a good question. That's always what you want to ask. The teacher's always going to say, yes, good questions. Glad you're thinking about that question. And this is, again, you know, my spiritual imagination, but I think there's some basis to it. You remember we said that there will be people that enter in to the millennial kingdom still in simple, simple bodies. They're still bodies of flesh. They're not glorified yet. They're going, to have, they're going to have a new environment that allows them to live a long time. Maybe scientific breakthroughs they, that those inhabitants cure cancer and all the other things that beset us. And maybe there is this ability for the body to live for a long number of years in that perfect environment. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time if you read Genesis, right? People live in 600, 700, 900 years in human bodies. Maybe the environment, maybe the circumstances will be changed. Maybe there will be things that are learned that allow us to live, or allow those folks to live hundreds of years. Surely they will. And then there will be children that will be born and the seed of Adam will be passed on from those people that entered in in their human bodies to their children. And those children will have to grow up at a certain accountable age, and they will have to make a decision. Do I want to be loyal to that king in Jerusalem or not? 
Some may conform like people do today. They conform to a certain standard of godliness. They, they keep the rules. But there will still have to be a change in the disposition of those people's hearts to want to say, that's my king also. He's worthy of my worship. And I think there's this last idea here, this sense of the onerous worship of animal sacrifice. Onerous is a term means it's, it's, it's burdensome, it's not enjoyable. And you think about it, everything else is perfect, but there are folks that are given the duty to daily slay and spill the blood of animals, innocent animals. That's all described in these chapters. And it's, 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 it's a bloody mess. It's a lot of death. You see, I think there's some things we need to understand. Remember we talked about the youth, you know, if he dies at 100, he would say, what happened? What, what secret sin did that person have that they, were, that they were judged in early death? Well, first of all, death will be rare and unusual. Justice, when delivered, will be swift, sudden, and unquestioning. Jesus said he's going to rule with an, a rod of iron. And, and one of the promises to, the, to one of the churches in Revelation 2 was that they also will rule with a rod of iron. In other words, there will be a rulership that is consistent from Jerusalem to every other district, county, nation, however you want to call it, and there will be consistent standards of judgment. And if there's somebody that crosses a line in a rebellious way, it will be dealt with. But here's an interesting thing as well. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 45. It very clearly says the word atonement in this worship. Atonement, you remember, in the Old Testament was a covering for sin. It implies that even in this millennial kingdom, those people that go in with sinful bodies will have the capacity to sin. And there will be a need as, as you read about this worship. And, I mean, there is a massive, I mean, we didn't, we didn't see it if you saw it before, but I, I encourage you to go to the website. There is walls around this temple, this, this temple of Ezekiel. And there are actually three levels of guard gates on each of those gate entrances for guards to, to basically say certain people are not allowed to proceed past here. That place will be holy unto the Lord. And it will be circumspectly protected from anything that's not holy. Meaning these, these, these earth dwellers will have to be at the outside, even those that worship Jesus. There is a big space between those walls and an outer fence that's a mile on each side a mile on each side, before you can even get to the gates to go into the temple. Why is that? Because God is holy. God can't still allow sin to come into his presence. And I don't really understand all that because we have what we have in the New Testament. But again, these circumstances will be unique to these people that go into the millennial kingdom. And it says... This is the offering, verse 13, that you'd offer a six of an ephah from a homer of wheat, a six of an ephah from a homer of barley, a prescribed portion of oil, namely the bath of oil, a tenth of a bath or for each core, which is ten baths or a homer, 
And these are all measurements that are very much biblical. And notice verse 15, and one sheep from each flock of 200 for the watering place of Israel for a grain offering, for a burnt offering, and for peace offerings, and to make atonement for them, declares the Lord God. And all the people of the land shall give to this offering for the prince of Israel. And it shall be the prince's part to provide the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, the libations at the feast, on the new moons, on the Sabbaths, at all the appointed feasts of the house of Israel. He shall provide the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings to make atonement for the house of Israel. There will be this ongoing visual demonstration that sin always must be dealt with by blood. It will be this ongoing experience in the lives of people. And thus says the Lord God, in the first month, on the first of the month, you shall take a young bull without blemish and cleanse the sanctuary. And the priest shall take some of the blood from the sin offering and put it on the doorpost of the house and on the four corners of the ledge of the altar and on the post of the gate of the inner court. And that's verse 20. And thus you shall do on the seventh day of the month for everyone who goes astray or is naive so that you may make atonement for the house. This in nature still needs to be dealt with. It still needs to be acknowledged and and appropriated with blood. And this will be a teaching experience as well. I've asked the question before, and this is my answer. Why is there sacrifice in this perfect, wonderful, fantastical thousand-year reign of Jesus? Because there will be people born into that thousand-year experience who will have a perfect government. They will have a perfect environment. All the things that people say, well, if only the government would do this, and if only the government spent on that, and if only we had good leaders, and if only we had better programs, and if only we had more money for the poor, all those things are going to get wiped away. And what's left will still be the sinfulness of the human heart. Even the threefold temptations of 1 John, the world, the flesh, and the devil, two of those are going to be taken away. It'll only be the flesh that people will be dealing with. And yet, there will be people that go astray in the heart. I think that the reason, one of the reasons, aside from just God needs blood to cover sin, to bridge His holiness, I think one of the reasons is to teach the children of the millennium the weight and the value of Jesus' sacrifice. Think about it. If you grew up in this perfect experience, And you only rarely, if ever, saw something die. How could you value what it meant for Jesus to be crucified? You see, we all have lived and breathed the experience of death to one degree or another. Our heart has a little pang when somebody we care about, like Brother Herschel, passes. I was just getting to know Brother Herschel. I had some phone calls and went and met with him in his study and had great fellowship with him. And then COVID hit. And, um, you know, that kind of got cut off. I'll see him again. But, but we, we all know what it's like to lose someone dear to us. But what would it be like for these children that are born in the millennium who will only on the rarest occasions and if ever see something die except through the sacrificial ritual of this temple worship?
for them to value and grasp in a meaningful way the death of Jesus Christ, they will have to see something innocent killed and have to connect those two, the death of that king in his earthly existence with the death picturesquely of that animal. You know, these are going to be amazing things for us to experience. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm really excited about next week because we talk about what we're going to be doing. And throw away that vision of harps on clouds and all that crazy stuff. No. Way more rubber meets the road than that. And we've got that to look forward to. Maybe there's someone here that doesn't have that to look forward to because you have never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. You've not acknowledged him as the true king, the true Lord, the true savior of all men, the one who said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can get to the Father except through him. No ritual, no association, no ardency, no consecration in your human efforts, no works, no baptism, but the submission of a heart and acknowledgement that you're a sinner that can't enter into the presence of a holy God apart from there being blood shed for you. Jesus sacrificially did that. He lived perfectly. He was the unblemished lamb. And he was offered up for the sins of all. And you can receive the gift of that forgiveness by believing on him alone for your salvation, for your deliverance. And then you have the opportunity to acknowledge him as not only the lamb, but the lion of Judah, the coming king, the conqueror, the deliverer of Israel. You see, Brother Herschel had a, a line. I'll ask you to do this in conclusion. Draw a line, draw a dash. On that first line, write your birth date, put a dash, then draw another line, the date of your death. How long is yours going to be? How much opportunity do you have, and we'll talk about this next week, to prepare for the next thousand years of your life, to make it a place of abundance, a place of blessing, a place of enjoyment to the fullest. I hope that this morning we've opened up a piece of the scripture that you haven't looked at maybe recently, if ever, maybe, I don't know. I know a lot of people read that and they start going, what is that talking about? I don't understand it. I hope, it, I hope we made it more understandable. I hope it's become more real. That this is something to look forward to, to long for. It's, it's kind of even the concept of, we all have this sense of when things are unjust, we just wish, couldn't somebody come make this right? Somebody is. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so, we stand in awe of your glory, your holiness, the wisdom of your ways the perfection of your plans. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God that communicates and even down to the details of the measure of an altar and how high and where it sits and just, Lord, the precision of how you deserve to be approached, 
thank you as we've heard earlier that hebrews tells us that for thus those of us that that know you personally we have great confidence we have great opportunities to come before you at any time and and to experience what you will one day do for israel that before we speak you already know the word that's in our mouth and you are responding and you are our god that hears and and comes to our our rescue thank you lord for saving us for for interposing your blood across our sin debt canceling it out washing away the judgment that we deserve thank you lord that that there's so much for to look forward to help us as we we come in the next week to, to realize that, that what we do between now and the date that goes in that last blank can make a difference for eternity. Give us your grace. Give us your spirit of understanding to, uh, to look in these things more, more deeply, to come to understand them, and to uh, ap- appreciate them in our own hearts. We pray in Christ's name.